You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. So Philippians chapter 1, we'll get to that in a couple of moments. Philippi, the city that we're talking about, Philippi is where the, uh, this letter that Paul was writing, he was writing to the church in Philippi. It was a gorgeous city, and we, he, here's some, uh, a picture of kind of the modern-day area where Philippi was. Isn't it beautiful? It was, it was beautiful back then. It was land, from its landscaping to its architecture to um, being on a very major trade route made it a very significant city. It was a very bustling city, a lot of action, a lot of excitement, a lot of trade. It was a very desirable city to live in. People wanted to live in Philippi. It was, um, and, and not just because of the reasons I described, because of its beauty and its agriculture and, and different things like that. Another thing that made it very prestigious was that it was um, a Roman colony. It was a little Rome, as it was called, even though Rome, which was the epicenter of the world at the time, was hundreds of miles away, Philippi had the distinction of being a Roman colony and a, a city of Rome. And so people would actually take great, great pride in this. They would dress like the people did in Rome. You know how, you know, at Paris is now, supposedly, you know, what the fashion... Uh, sort of center in our world. Well, in the same way, Rome was all of the, everything from fashion to language to popular culture, everything. It was the place. And so in, in Philippi, people would dress like the people in Rome. They would try to talk with them. Their street names were similar to that in Rome, just very, very similar. They just loved this. They took great pride in this sort of a thing. And in that, though, this also meant that there was unqualified allegiance to Rome and to the emperor. You know how when we go around and, you know, you go to a hockey game, you go to some event, and it seems like it's only during sporting events that we actually do this, you know, except for maybe Remembrance Day services, but we sing, Oh, oh Canada. And, and we do that in honor of our country, and, and where it has incredible meaning and significance is when it's not just before a hockey game, um, or at the end of a tournament, and Canada wins, and we sing, and we're all celebrated, but also to it special services where we honor those who have sacrificed and given themselves for our nation. Well, well, we do that as citizens of Canada, but in Rome and then in Philippi, they would take special time and they would, throughout the day, to pledge their allegiance to Rome and to Caesar. You see, for them, Caesar, or Nero, as um, the guy who was in office at this time, or was reigning at this time, that was his name, it was Nero, people would see him as king of kings, and Lord of Lords. And so people would worship him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so Paul, in his letters, he wrote, he's writing to Philippi here, but if you remember, he also wrote to the church in Rome. And he encouraged them in Romans chapter 12. He said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, he's saying, Don't let Rome, don't let the culture of the day squeeze you into its mold. Instead, be transformed by the very word of God. Don't let the pride and the arrogance and the pressure and the pagan practices of Rome allow you to, to slip into those same kind of things. Your allegiance is to Christ. Your king of kings and lord of lords is in heaven, not in Rome. And so Paul's encouraging them in this. How about Kelowna, British Columbia? Similar kind of architecture, 
I mean, or landscape, agriculturally beautiful. I mean, while most of Canada is enduring today even a terrible, terrible winter experience with snow and, and cold weather, our golf courses and driving ranges are open and our grass is turning green. We're listed as one of the most desired places to live in Canada. U.S. magazines recently have, have, have listed Kelowna and the Okanagan Valley as one of the must-see places in North America. You've got to see Kelowna. You've got to see the Okanagan. With this kind of beauty and distinction comes a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance, a lot of entitlement. Many people have moved here because they want to move to Kelowna. They deserve it. They, 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 they want to be here. They have, have sacrificed and have worked so that they could come here. And, and with that, oftentimes comes a lot of arrogance and a lot of entitlement that can easily creep into our lives. Even for me, I mean, when I'm talking with family or friends across Canada and I'm talking about the lovely weather, it's, it's easy to get kind of prideful in kind of not wanting to rub it in. It's hard, you know, and, and we've got it so amazing. But, but this kind of entitlement and consumeristic attitude can easily float into our culture, but even into the church here in the Okanagan re region. And in our passage today, Paul is reminding the Christians in Philippi, he is saying, you, firstly, foremost, you are citizens of heaven. You are not just citizens in Rome, you are citizens of heaven. And your allegiance ultimately is to Christ and not to Nero. And so he's encouraging them, don't fit into the culture. And so Paul is calling the Philippians to a radical devotion to Christ and to the gospel. And so today we're going to look at three verses in verses 27 to 30 of chapter 1. Paul is telling the Philippian church, encouraging them how they are to live as citizens in heaven. How they are to live as citizens in heaven in a world that they are facing a lot of pressures to conform, as well as enduring suffering and opposition. In verse 27, it says, it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, that first phrase there in, in verse 27, it says, only let your manner of life, which kind of under-translates in the Greek, it's better to be read, only let your manner of life as citizens be worthy of the gospel. In Greek, it implies the same as Philippians chapter 3.20 when it talks about our citizenship is in heaven. And so he's reminding them here that yes, you are citizens of Rome, but ultimately you're citizens of heaven. Your allegiance is to Christ. And Nero in Rome is not your king and is not to be worshipped as king. And one, ironically, one of the interesting things is, is that the people in Rome considered the Christians and the church there to actually be atheists. Because to them, Nero was God. And if you didn't believe in Nero, which they didn't, they didn't believe in Nero being God, they basically, they considered you to be an atheist. You're, you don't believe. You don't believe in God, obviously. So, so they termed them atheists. And, and that's where even some of the early workings of that word atheist came from. Their allegiance was to Christ. And Paul calls them to live out their blood-bought heavenly citizenship in such a way that you are worthy of the gospel. Now remember, the first time that the gospel goes into, into Philippi, Paul goes in there and it doesn't go very well, does it? It goes terribly 
awfully well for him, I guess you could say, because it was terrible and awful, but it also went kind of well, and yet he ended up, he and Silas ended up getting beaten, beaten to a pulp with, with, with rods, and then they get thrown into prison, and it, quite the welcome wagon experience, right? You know, could you imagine moving into a city and getting beaten, and then thrown into prison as your welcome kind of experience to the city? Well, that's what happened to, to Paul, and, and what happened, I just love this, I think this is so, um, such a good way to say this, say this. So what happens in prison? Well, there's a little bit of jailhouse joy that produced the original jailhouse rock, right? Elvis had nothing on that, on this, you know, a jailhouse rock kind of thing. I mean, they're in prison, Paul and Silas, and they're rocking it with praise to God. Instead of boy, us and complaining and giving it, they're praising God, they're praying. And what happens? That prison shakes, and that place rocked and it rolled, and the prisoners were all set free. The original jailhouse joy led to jailhouse rock and they rocked right i mean and and the gospel kept going and um the gospel life in rome though meant it was going to be tough they were facing opposition if you wanted to live for christ and wanted to believe and you wanted to worship him it was going to cost you it it would cost you in various ways because again it's bumping up against the moral climate of the day and the culture wasn't bent on worshiping jesus but in worshiping rome and and nero and so the philippians Christians were basically involved in combat right from day one. And what were their weapons? Did they pick up rods and take on the enemy? No, their weapons were faith and trust in the word of God. They prayed. Their faith and trust was in Christ. Their weapon was their lives as they lived for him. And they moved forward with the gospel and the church grew. But as citizens of heaven, we are to stand firm in the Spirit. And so we see this here in verse 27. Paul says, As citizens of heaven, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. You see, we stand firm not in our own power. If you think you can go out and live the Christian life and live for Christ on your own, in your own strength and power, you're fooling yourself. It's not going to happen. But we stand in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, that when we receive Him into our life by faith, He comes into our life through His Holy Spirit, and His Holy Spirit empowers us, He gives us new life, He indwells us and transforms us, incorporates us into the body of Christ, and so we can stand firm, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Our strength, our power, our wisdom come from Him, and so we stand firm no matter what happens, and He's telling them, you're going to stand firm in the Spirit. Being in, in, in the Spirit, one mind, he goes on to say in verse 27, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So second of all, we we, as citizens of heaven, we strive side by side, standing firm in the power of the Holy Spirit, striving side by side. You are not alone in this. You don't stand alone. And, and this phraseology here in, in these verses talk about basically, it's... In, implying teamwork and, and that of athletes or soldiers working together. Great things happen when teams work together, when you stand in unity with one another. And sadly, I'm seeing that kind of lived out in Alberta right now with the hockey teams. I do not like the Calgary Flames. And I have liked, in the past, the Edmonton Oilers. I've kind of jumped off that bandwagon and... and um, and it pains me to see what's going on there. 
Here you have the Edmonton Oilers who have drafted, and if you know anything about hockey, over the last number of years, they've taken the young guns, the superstars, those who are going to be the next up-and-comer hockey players because they've been finishing so low that they've drafted all these, these top players, and they're awful. Consistently over the last number of years, they've been awful, and people say they're not playing as a team. They have strong individuals, but they're not on the same page. Drive south a couple hours, you have this team of lunch bucket players and the Calgary Flames, no-name hockey players really for the most part, and they were talking, well, they need to rebuild and they need to start over, but instead they have guys buying into the system and they're working hard and they don't quit and they're in a playoff position, I think, even as we speak, even right now, Edmonton Oilers, I mean, they've been out of the playoffs since October pretty much, and, and, and the Calgary Flames keep going. Why? Because they're working as a unit, because they know that they're, they're, they're not strong individually, but collectively wow, look at what's happening. And they don't quit. They, they have the, the most comebacks in the third period. They can be down 3 nothing. They can be down 2-1. to one. They can be down 2 nothing. And it, by the end, you check the scores because I can't watch them still. It pains me to do that sort of thing. But you end up seeing that they win. And it's amazing. I mean, how are they doing this? They're working together as a team. And the great things can happen when we work together as a team in the body of Christ. <laughs> I remember a number of years ago... Uh, we had a church picnic, and, um, and one of the, the things that became a tradition for some of the years that we were in our church in Alberta was there was a big tug-of-war event, and, 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 and one year the lady said, we want to take the men on in the tug-of-war this year. And so it was billed as the epic battle of this church picnic, that men taking on the women, and so everyone was all ready for it, and, and we, I don't know where we got it, but it was this great big thick rope, and it was long, and there were lots of people on one side, lots of men on one side, a lot of women on the other side, and, and, and I got to be the master of ceremonies, and, and it was just so exciting, I had the megaphone working, and, and, and all of a sudden gave, gave the call, and of course, I mean, the men just yanked it, and those women, I mean, they were flying, it was, you know, like, it, it was was crazy what was going on but we said it was gonna be best of three no matter what but you know what happened round two the lady said okay ladies this is what we're gonna do we are all going to work together and when the call is given we're gonna pull 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 all in in unison together because they said we we're all over the place we weren't pulling together as a team never guess what happened second round those women pulled, and they pulled, and they pulled, and they pulled those men right over. I mean, talk about humiliation. The men were like, what happened? And I mean, so it was setting up the epic round three, winner takes all. Like, this was going to be the, the epic battle now. And, and so the men were, you know, like, oh, we let them have it, you know, and they're, they're licking their wounds and getting others to lick the wounds for them. And, and the women are like, we can do this, we can do this. Round three comes along, and... Uh, <laughs> It was so sweet. I, I, I told the video guy, I said, make sure you get this. This is going to be so great. And, uh, and so they start the, the battle, and it's going back and forth. And all of a sudden, there was this loud, and it was loud, snap. And that rope broke, and we had bodies flying on all sides. They were falling into each other, and injuries, and, and all of this stuff. And could you believe it? People actually accused me of doctoring the rope. They actually thought that maybe I had something to do to kind of cut the rope so it would break. And I didn't. Honestly, I didn't. So I go run to the video guy. I said, please tell me you got that. That is so amazing. He said, the lens cap was on the camera. And I was like, no. You know, I did hear the audio, and the audio sounded amazing, hearing the snap and then, 
you know what, oh, oh, you know, and all the noises that went with it. And, and yet it speaks to us about what happens when you pull together. And when you pull as individuals and try to do it on your own, you're not going to get very far. But like those women taught us, you pull hard, you pull together, and all in one, one pull, one yank, and you're just going together, just, just working it, something happens. And the same thing is so true when it comes to the church. That when, and, and Paul is telling him here, this, you strive side by side. You strive side by side in unity. And when churches Strive together when believers are together in unity. Psalm, I think it's 133, tells us that, that there the Lord bestows a blessing, even life forevermore, when believers are together in unity. And it's so easy, though, in our culture to turn church, to turn our relationship with God into just a spectator sport or just to be alone. And we need one another. And it becomes a spectator sport where, I mean, and, and we've gotten so spoiled in, in North America, especially when it comes to, to even coming to church or being part of a church. We come in, we sit down, we stand up, we sing, if it suits us, we leave, we, we enjoy some coffee, some refreshments, we get in the, get in the car, we critique, we critique, and then we come back next week, maybe, if I'm not too tired, if it works, if there's not something else on. Is this what Christ had in mind for the church? When he stretched out his arms in, on the cross for us, was it what he had in mind when he said, I will build my church and you can sit back and just watch it happen? No. He said, I will build my church and I want to use you working together, striving together with one heart in the spirit, in mind, in unity, side by side, striving together in relationship with one another. And when you have that sort of thing happen, Great and mighty things can happen for the cause of the gospel. You know, it's so easy to have hundreds of friends on Facebook, hundreds of followers on Instagram or Twitter, or to follow hundreds and have other people follow us and we follow them. And we can have all of this awareness and, and these friends out there, and yet we can be so lonely. That people really don't know us. They don't know our struggles. In the next few months, Lord willing, as small groups are launched, it will be a great way that we will be able to strive side by side with one another. But it doesn't have to wait till then. It can happen now and is happening now, and I'm so excited about that. When a church works together, in the power of the Holy Spirit, standing and striving together in unity, pulling together, watch out! That's why church planting, or kind of what we're, what, what we're doing here, um, can be a challenge, but can also be very, very exciting. It, it, it's called, someone laughed this week when I was describing kind of what we do here, and I said it's basically church in a box, because we have all of our equipment in a box, we unload it, and then we have our service, and then we load it back up, and, and right in the midst, we're having our service right here, and, and, and it's amazing, it's kind of exciting, and, and, and that to see people working together, learning how things get set up, how get, things get taken down, and it's exciting when you see children, you see teenagers, you see um, seniors, you see all across the ages pitching in, striving side by side for this kind of thing, and, and, and it there's something kind of very raw and real and, and, and a very tangible way we can be a part of helping to, to work in carrying out the gospel message. But ultimately, what are we striving towards? 
What are we standing in unity on? Just to have service on a Sunday morning? No, verse 27 tells us what we are to be striving in and striving towards. And it says the faith of the gospel. We are to preach the gospel. We are to live the gospel. We are to allow it to transform us. If we're just doing this for the sake of some sort of religious activity, just to kind of, you know, just go through spiritual motions, that's a waste. That's not what this is about. It is to, to, to allow the gospel to be presented. It is to work together, to serve together, to pray together, to believe in God for great and mighty things together for the sake of the gospel because we believe that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We believe that without Christ, people will go to a Christless eternity in hell. And hell is forever. And forever is a long time. And we know that and we believe it. And so we want to work together, strive together, pray together, set up, worship, take down, live, get to know one another inside of these walls and outside of these walls for the sake of the gospel. Because we believe that if people turn from their sins, and they receive Christ as their Savior, their eternity is transformed, but their lives here on this earth also are transformed. That's why we're going through the book of Philippians, because it, it, it's, it's a challenge, a new way to be thinking. We don't think like we used to think. We don't think like the world thinks. That's why Paul is saying, don't be conformed. Don't be thinking like the world. Don't let Rome and, and, and all of its, your allegiances to it, you know what, just mess with your mind. You've got to allow your mind, your your actions, your attitudes, what you do day after day, be controlled by the power of God's Word and through His Holy Spirit. We strive, by, we strive side by side. That is the primary work of the church. And we strive in the faith of the gospel. We preach it. We proclaim it. We're not going to dilute it. We're going to share it. We're going to call people to repentance just as we even did this morning, take time to examine your life before we partake of God's word because he tells us that we ought to do that. That we ought to examine our lives. That we need to be people that are repenting of our sins and, and desiring to, to continue to keep growing in our walk with Christ. So we strive side by side without fear, it goes on to say in verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them that they're destruct, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Okay, so we've got to understand this. The Christians in Paul's day had a very good reason to be terrified. There's a lot of fear in our world today with what is going on in the Middle East, what is going on in Iraq, what is going on with ISIS, what is going on economically. There's a lot of fear. But the Christians in Philippi were right in the midst of the battle. They were in the midst of persecution. They were in the midst of suffering for the gospel. Right now, we have fear, but we have quite a bit of safety living here in Kelowna, living here in Canada. And so, but for the Philippians... Day by day, they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know if some of their family members would be arrested and thrown into jail. They didn't know if it would be their uncle, their aunt, who are followers of Christ, would end up giving their lives as martyrs for, uh, because of Rome and because of 
their allegiance to Jesus above that of Nero. They didn't know what was going on, and so they knew there was possible beatings, and there were not just possible, it became apparent. And, and there was imprisonment and execution, and, and, and we know this because in verse 30, if you just look down at the last verse there in chapter 1, he says, um, Paul mentions, he says, the same thing is happening to you now, which has happened to me then when I was in Philippi, and what happened to him? Beatings, imprisonment, that sort of opposition, and he says, and which is also happening to me now, which he's in prison as he's writing this letter and so it wasn't easy and Paul says don't be alarmed he says because the very fact that this is happening is a proof that that your opponents are headed for destruction and he says and it's a sign for you as believers of your salvation really this is important you got to get this okay because this is a biblical way of thinking about what we're going to talk about in the next few moments. He is saying the suffering that you are facing right now is a sign to your enemies that of their destruction and your suffering is a sign of your salvation. And he says, don't fear. Don't panic. Don't freak out. God's, God's in control in our world today. We have faith. We have confidence. Don't don't panic. Don't be terrified. Don't freak out. God's got it all under control. We're seeing that today, two weeks after the execution on the beach of those 21 Egyptian Christians. This week I read about an evangelical church located on one of downtown Cairo in Egypt. On one of their busiest streets hung a poster on its wall at eye level so that pedestrians could see it, and this is what it said. We learn from what the Messiah has said. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. People were fearful that the Christians in Egypt, though they are very much the minority, would lash back at the Muslims, that are very much the majority in Egypt. And instead, the Christians are facing this with confidence. They're loving their enemies. They're praying for those that are persecuting them. How does that happen? Do they do that in their power and strength? But when you stand firm in the Holy Spirit, He gives you the power to do this. When you Strive side by side with other brothers and sisters in Christ in unity for the faith of the gospel. You don't need to be frightened. Don't you just see how God's word through this passage just speaks to what's going on in our world and it can happen in your own life, what you're facing right now, right here, right now? It can. In fact, the Bible Society in Egypt has this past week has launched its largest campaign ever. They've printed well over a million gospel tracts, and it's called Two Rows by the Sea. And it asks these questions on it. Listen to these questions. Who fears the other? The row in orange watching paradise open? Or the row in black with minds that are evil and broken? Who fears the other? 
This passage comes alive from the Philippians. In the book of Philippians, what Paul is saying to them. But it comes alive today. Are you ready to suffer for the sake of the gospel? And the way that we suffer may be very different than how they're suffering in other parts of the world. Are you ready to stand up and not conform to the worldly standards in our own city? To, to conform to the standards of morality or unethical conduct in the workplace? Well, everyone's doing it. Everyone's kind of cutting the corners. Everyone's doing this. Yeah, but how are you called to live as a citizen of heaven? Yeah, but everyone here, no, 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 you are not primarily, you are not a citizen. Yes, you may be a citizen in Canada. Yes, you may be a resident in Kelowna or surrounding areas. But ultimately, you're a citizen of heaven. We, we live differently. We act differently. The gospel changes it. We don't do it because we have to. It's because he's changing, he's transforming us. We do it because we get to, because... It's for King Jesus. It's not for our mayor. It's not for our premier. It's not for our prime minister. We do it for Jesus. And there's such pressure to, towards materialism, towards being so busy with so many other things because we've got to keep up with others. We've we got to have this. We've got to buy this. We've got to go into debt so we get this so we can look like this and so we can, you know what, have these certain, you know what, people would have the right image and, and, and we'd have the right reputation amongst No, no we live differently. We're going to come next week and into the following weeks into the most, oh, I love Philippians chapter 2. It's going to be, oh, it's going to be mind-blowing because of... of, of it's going to continue to teach us how we should live and it's so countercultural to what we see today but it's so biblical and it's so life-giving and it's so joy joy-filled kind of living through death comes life like i mean it doesn't make sense it's an upside-down kingdom i love it the moment you decide however to get serious and commit your life to christ commit your yourself to to get involved in a different area, expect attacks. When you are getting on the front lines and doing the work that, that promotes the gospel, get ready for the attacks to come. The discouragement that could come from family, from friends, from outside, so who knows what it could be. Expect it. When we were meeting a year ago as a core group and we would meet on Sunday nights, we would pray together, I would remind them as, as we were building it, one of the things, just just... Expect attacks. Expect to get tested. Prepare for spiritual opposition. The enemy's going to want to try to divide, bring disunity within our group. He's going to attack from the outside, different sort of you know opposition to discourage us or, or to you know and, and, and maybe it's in the area of finances and, and, and you make the choice to say I want to honor God in, in, in giving to Him or honor Him in my time and I, I want to do that with, with sincerity and, and by faith and expect to get tested, expect to be ridiculed, to be laughed at, mockery that could come from family, from friends, even from other Christians at times we can face these kind of things. But don't panic when it happens. Be assured, your citizenship is in heaven if you are in Christ. As you stand in the power of the Holy Spirit, as you strive together with one another in the gospel, we don't have to fear. Do not be frightened. There is great fear in our society today, economically and with what's going on in our world. Yet we don't need to fear because God is in control. He's got it all figured out. And the times may not be easy, and yet he's going to see each one of his children through. And thirdly, 
We suffer with joy. As citizens of heaven, we are to suffer with joy. Look at in verse 29. It says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Okay, this is, this is some of that stuff I told you that is kind of hold on, put the seatbelt on. Paul is saying you have been granted, that word granted, a better way to even take that, interpret it, is the word graced. You have been graced with salvation. We love that. We love the fact that we, our sins are forgiven, that we're a child of His. We love that. But it also says, you have been graced with suffering. Do we like that one? Not so much. Salvation is such an incredible gift. And, and if you know Christ today, you know what that means. And, and to know that God has looked upon you with favor and, and you are his child. And if you're here today and, and you've never received him as your Lord and, and, and your Savior in the way that we're talking about, he is looking upon you with favor. He's allowed you to be here today so that you can hear that, that your life can be changed and transformed. Your sins can be forgiven. Your past, what is in the past is in the past. It is forgiven. New creations, the old is gone, the new has come. But it also means we are granted salvation, but it also means we are granted or graced with suffering. It means that we are just not recipients of His grace, but we share in the sufferings of Christ. And that suffering comes to us as Christians not as a sign of God's disapproval of us, but very much of His approval. 2 Timothy 3, 12 Paul wrote to young Timothy and he says, anyone desiring to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. The fellowship of the gospel is not just sharing the gift of God's grace, but also the gift of sharing in his sufferings. Suffering is a part of our discipleship, crucial part of it. It develops us, it grows us, it challenges us, it, it, it causes us to realize that we cannot do this on our own. But we must rely more and more on Christ. You see, we think the Christian life is the good and the easy life. That, you know, it's all about God's grace. You know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now life is going to be super easy. And everyone's going to love me. And there's going to be no challenges. And, and it's going to be, I'm going to have money in the bank. And I'm going to be wealthy. And I'm going to have health. And I'm going to have, you know, it, you know what, just no relational issues that will ever come up in my life. And you see, you come to Jesus and it's going to be smooth sailing. Yeah, that's, that's a lie. The only problem with that sort of thing is that it's not found in the Bible. Jesus, we come to Jesus and, and we think that it's going to be smooth sailing right to heaven short. Uh-uh. That gets preached today, but it's not in God's Word. In the last days, we're told that, that there's going to be itching ears of, of people who gather around teachers around them that, that want to tell them these kind of things. And, and the gospel that is being preached today in many pulpits and in many large churches in North America especially, but it moves all around the world, is that God wants you rich, happy, and healthy. And if there isn't, there's a problem. The only problem with that is the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach that. These are misguided preachers taking verses and, and putting a period part ways through the verse instead of the comma that's there and looking at it in, in context. And I mean, 
I've seen some of these guys on TV recently, and, and I mean, our family, the other, it was a few weeks ago, it was kind of funny, uh, no one was really paying attention, and so I put one of these preachers on, and he was talking about this miracle water, that if you order it from him, and, and, and you take and you sprinkle it over your house, or you sprinkle it over your body, or you do these things, that, that healing will come, and, and, and that someone got their furniture replaced, because they, 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 they put it all over their apartment, and boom, they got new furniture, or, you know, put it over your old car, and a new one comes, and, you know, and, and it was kind of funny, because no was paying attention to the TV and all of a sudden everyone and the kids were saying, what? What's that? You know, and oh, and if you send me some money, we can make sure that this spring water comes your way. And, and, and you hear these kind of things and they even quote some, some crazy scriptures that are taken out of context that don't even make sense on this kind of thing. And you say, oh, well, I, I, I wouldn't fall for that. You know, I mean, th- th- that's just crazy. And, and yet I, I believe that in many ways we can slip into that kind of thinking and into thinking that um, that everything should be smooth and easy. But Paul tells us here in this passage that we receive God's grace of salvation but we also receive the grace of suffering. And he calls us to suffer well. No one here in this room, and I believe there's some godly people in this room, and I believe in my own life as I look upon a list of godly people in my life and, and, and that have mentored and have meant very much to me whether they live across Canada, um, if they live here in the city, wherever it might be, some godly people. Not one of these people that I hold up as godly people in my life, not one of them would ever be able to say that in the last five years, let alone the last three and a half or the last two years or even the last year, that everything in their life relationally has just gone tickety-boo-boo. They would not say that they haven't had financial issues or health issues or or whatever it might be. No. We're all going to be granted these kind of things. It's going to come along. And we're just not going to just barely, you know, just, you know, keel over and just give up. No, it's, it's suffering well as believers in Christ. It's suffering well in the gospel knowing that, that he will empower us, he will see us through, and that he will teach us in and through these times. No one here in this room can say that. Because we live in a sin-fallen, messed-up world. And because we still continue to fall into areas of sin and, and, and you know, we do things that, that we pay for it later on. I mean, sometimes our suffering, you know what, comes, uh, we suffer because of sin and choices we've made. I mean, don't come to me and, and talk about how you're suffering financially because you have a whole bunch of speeding tickets, you know, and, and, and that is like, well, slow down, and then you're not going to get the speeding tickets, and then financially you'll be okay, or, or that you're struggling, you know what, um, health-wise, because you haven't taken care of your body for a lot of years, and, and, and think, oh, now God's just given it to me. No, there's the reaping and sowing principle that, that if we've kind of, you know what, not followed in, in areas in, in our earlier days in life or, or in certain choices we've made, that we're going to pay a price for that down the road and yet God's grace is there to meet us even in that the kind of suffering I'm ultimately talking about is the suffering that hits us out of the blue that hits from nowhere and and sometimes we may see oh this is a curse this is God getting me back no we got to see it as this is a, a means of his grace when trials and suffering comes the Lord comes rushing in Psalm 34, 18 reminds us that he is near to the brokenhearted. That is why Paul, on the prison floor, as he's writing this letter, you remember the first part of it, there was some something that said he was writing with such confidence. The other 
One of the other passages we looked at, he was just writing probably with a great big smirk on his face. He had joy in prison, even though it was dirty, disgusting, dark, and awful, because he saw his suffering as a means of grace. That God could be glorified in that. And that's what he's reminding the Philippians about. You know, even when I look over in my own life, and I've walked through many trials, some of them of my own doing, I've walked through troubles, some of them of my own doing, and struggles, some of them of my own doing, my own neglect. But over the years in my life, there's been struggles and trials, some of them not of my own doing. Some of it coming, all of it coming as a gift from God, as a means of grace for Him or for me to draw closer to him to experience his power and his strength as a desire to stand firm in the Holy Spirit his spirit ministers to you in the midst of those troubles he he ministers to you through the very word of God he's given people in my life through those struggles that have been there who have been striving side by side with me in prayer and encouragement and Sometimes kicking my butt in, in, encur- in encouragement and in prayer and love. I'm thankful for those people. I'm thankful for the Word of God that daily reminds me of the truths that He who has started a work will be faithful to complete it. Today we are reminded that we are citizens of heaven. And no matter what happens, our future is secured forever and ever in Christ. You know, if you ever travel and you leave Canada, you really need to have one of these. You need to have a passport, and if you're Canadian, you should have a Canadian passport. And it seems like over the last few years, I've used this quite a bit. I've used my passport, and, and, um, and my travels have mainly been to the United States. But every time I get back into Canada, there's kind of this... Ah, it's good to be home. But in order to get home, I need a passport. If not, I'm in trouble at the border. I'm sure there's a way to get in, but it wouldn't be very easy. And so you can't lose this. This is really important. And this here reminds me I'm a citizen of Canada. This is great. This is wonderful. It's a great country we live in. But ultimately, folks, we need to know and we need to remember that if we're in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. And one day, it will be good and amazing to get home. But until then, we keep our passports close to us. And that is the fact that Christ has come and he has stamped, his, stamped our hearts with his blood. He has changed us. He's changing us. He's transforming us. And ultimately, we are citizens of heaven. And so, when suffering, when trials and difficulties come, we stand, stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. We strive together side by side with one another in unity and faith of the gospel. Not being frightened by what happens and what the enemies may try to throw, whether it's in our mind or whether it's from the outside. And suffer with joy, knowing that he is desiring to strengthen and complete you 
Let's pray together. Father, may we learn from your word what it means to live as citizens of heaven. That we would live as carriers of the gospel to our city. May we not allow the culture and the way that our world thinks when it comes to morals and ethics and how we do business. May we not get squeezed into that mold, but may we be people who follow you and follow your word, transformed by the gospel. May those that we rub shoulders with see that Christ is alive in us, changing us, not turning us into fanatical kind of strange people that make everyone feel awkward, but that we would be people that through our love, through our words, through the way that we conduct ourselves, it would all be about the gospel and furthering the gospel in the lives of people here in this city and in this region. May we stand in the power of the Holy Spirit with one another, not living in fear, but with joy. Your word tells us Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Denying ourselves means we're thinking of others more highly than ourselves. It means giving of ourselves. It means taking up the cross. It requires suffering. And yet, that passage goes on to say, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Father, we thank you that in the end our suffering will result in incredible salvation. And we will see on the other side, just like you did, Jesus, as you approached the cross and the pain and the suffering that that brought, you saw the joy on the other side of it. And I pray for brothers and sisters who are suffering right now, whether it be in areas of health and relationships and in areas of their life, maybe it's financially, maybe uh, just, just whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that they would see that as they, they suffer well, as they suffer and as they praise you in the jail that they're in even right now, that they would experience the jailhouse joy, that you've got a plan and as they stay true to your word and follow you and have others walking side by side with them, that you will bring them through on the other side and will look back and say thank you. Thank you for the gift of your grace, but thank you for the gift of the suffering as well. It has taught me much. And it's made me stronger and more reliant on you, Lord. May that be our prayer today, step by step, that we would follow you.